Chapters thirty nine and forty of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty nine. Maud. Harold did not finish his work at the Allen farmhouse until Tuesday, so it was not until Wednesday afternoon that he started to pay his promised visit to Maud. Jerry had seen her twice and reported her as much better and able to be up, although still very weak. She is so anxious to see you don't you think you can go this afternoon she said to harold in the morning as she helped him weed the garden and pick the strawberries for dinner yes i guess i can if you'll go with me he said he was so loath to be away from jerry when it was not absolutely necessary that even a call upon maud without her did not seem very tempting but jerry could not go for nina and marian raymond were coming to spend the afternoon and harold went alone to the park house where he found maud in the room she called her studio trying to finish a little water-colour which she had sketched of the cottage as it was before the roof was raised i mean it for jerry she had said to harold who stood by her when she sketched it and i am going to put her under the tree with her sunbonnet hanging down her back as she used to wear it when she was a little girl and you are to be over there by the fence looking at me coming up the lane it was the best thing maud had ever done for the likeness to jerry and to herself was perfect while the cottage embowered in trees and flowers made it a most attractive picture harold had praised it a great deal and told her that it would make her famous but when the carpenter work came on maud put it aside until now when she brought it out again and was just beginning to retouch it in places as harold was announced she was looking very tired and it seemed to harold that she had lost pounds of flesh since he saw her last her face was pale and wan but it flushed brightly as he came in and she went forward to meet him hallie you naughty boy she began as she gave him her hand why didn't you come before you don't know how i have missed you you must not forget me now that jerry is at home she led him to a seat and then herself sank into a large cushioned easy-chair against which she leaned her head wearily while she looked at him with eyes which ought to have told how much he was to her and so put him on his guard and saved the misunderstanding which followed no maud i couldn't forget you he said and without really knowing that he was doing it he put his hand upon the little thin white one lying on the arm of the chair every nerve in maud's body thrilled to the touch of harold's hand upon which she involuntarily laid her other one one would have thought them lovers sitting there together but nothing could have been farther from harold's mind he was thinking only of jerry and his resolve to confide in maud and get her opinion with regard to his chance now is as good a time as any he thought wondering how he should begin and finding it harder than he had imagined it would be at last after a few commonplaces maud told him again that he must not neglect her now that jerry was at home neglect you how can i do that he said when i look upon you as one of my best friends and in proof of it i am going to tell you something or rather ask you something and i hope you will answer me truly better that i know the worst at first than learn it afterward maud's face was scarlet with a great and sudden joy and her eyes drooped beneath harold's as he went on stammeringly for he began to feel the awkwardness of telling one girl that he loved another even though that other were her dearest friend i hardly know how to begin he said it is such a delicate matter and perhaps i'd better say nothing at all was he going to stop had he changed his mind and would he not after all say the words she had so longed to hear maud asked herself while he sat silent and unmoved his thoughts very far from her to whom he was so much 
poor maud she was weak and sick and impulsive and mistaken in the nature of harold's feelings for her so judge her not too harshly if she at last did what arthur would have called throwing herself at his head i can guess what you mean she said after a pause during which he did not speak i have long suspected that you cared for me and have wondered you did not tell me so but suppose that you refrained because i was rich and you were poor but what has that to do with those who love each other i am glad you have spoken and you have made me very happy even if we can never be more to each other than we are now because i am going to die oh maud maud you are mistaken i came from harold like a cry of horror as he wrenched away his hand lying between hers what could she mean how had she understood him he asked himself while great drops of sweat gathered upon his forehead and in the palms of his hands as the past came back to him and he could see that what he had thought mere friendship for himself was a far different and deeper feeling while he unwittingly had fanned the flame and was now reaping the result what can i do he said aloud unconsciously while from the chair in which maud was leaning back so wearily came a voice like that of a child ring the bell and give me my handkerchief he was at her side in a moment bending over her and looking anxiously into the pallid face from which the bright colour had faded leaving it grey and pinched and drawn had he killed her by blurting out so roughly that she was mistaken and thus filling her with mortification and shame no that could not be for as he brought her handkerchief she whispered to him i am not mistaken hallie i am going to die but you have made the last days of my life very very happy she thought he was referring to herself and her situation when he told her she was mistaken and with a smothered groan he was starting for the camphor as she bade him do when the door opened and mrs tracy herself appeared what is it she asked sharply then as she saw maud's face she knew what it was and going to her said to harold why did you allow her to talk and get excited what were you saying to her instantly maud's eyes went up to harold's with an appealing look as if asking him not to tell her mother then a precaution which was needless as he had no intention to tell mrs tracy or any one of the terrible blunder he had made and with a hope that the reality might dawn upon maud he answered truthfully i was talking to her of jerry i am so sorry if maud heard she did not understand for drops of pinkish blood were oozing from her lips and she looked as if she were already dead as in obedience to mrs tracy's command harold took her in his arms and carried her to the couch near the open window where he laid her down as tenderly as if she were indeed his affianced wife thanks she sighed softly and her eyes looked up at him with an expression which half tempted him to kiss the lips from which he was wiping the stain so carefully while mrs tracy at the door gave orders to a servant you can go now she said returning to the couch and dismissing him with her usual hauteur of manner while maud put up her hand and whispered come soon and jerry had harold been convicted of theft or murder he could scarcely have felt worse than he did as he walked slowly through the park reviewing the situation and wondering what he ought to do it almost killed her when she thought i loved her it would surely kill her to know that i do not he thought i cannot undeceive her now while she is so weak but when she is better and able to bear it i will tell her the truth and if she dies came to him like the stab of a knife as he remembered how white she looked as he held her in his arms if she does he said no one shall ever know of the mistake she made 
in this i will be true to maud even should the world believe i loved her and told her so but o oh, heaven spare me that and spare maud's life for many years she is too young too sweet too good to die this was harold's prayer and that of many others during the week which followed when maud's life hung on a thread and every bell at the park-house was muffled and the servants spoke only in whispers while frank tracy sat day and night in the room where his daughter lay perfectly quiet except as she sometimes put up her hand to stroke his white hair or wipe away the tears constantly rolling down his cheeks in frank's heart there was a feeling worse than death itself for keen remorse and bitter regret were torturing his soul as he sat beside the wreck of all his hopes and felt that he had sinned for naught he knew maud would die and then what mattered it to him if he had all the money of the rothschilds at his command oh gretchen you are avenged and jerry too oh jerry he said one day unconsciously as he sat by his daughter who he thought was sleeping but at the mention of jerry's name her eyes unclosed and fixed themselves upon her father with a look in which he read an earnest desire for something what is it pet he asked do you want anything they had made her understand that she must not speak for the slightest effort to do so always brought on a fit of coughing which threatened a hemorrhage but they had brought her a little slate on which she sometimes wrote her requests though that too was an effort pointing now to the slate she wrote while her father held it i want jerry i thought so and you shall have her for just as long as she will stay frank said and a servant was dispatched to the cottage with the message that jerry must come at once and come prepared to pass the night if possible it had been very dreary for maud during the time she had been shut up in her room to which no one was admitted except her father and mother the doctor and the nurse many messages of inquiry and sympathy however had come to her from the cottage and grassy spring and le bateau where ann eliza was still kept a prisoner with her sprained ankle and once jerry had written a note full of love and solicitude and a desire to see her as a postscript she added harold sends his love and hopes he will soon be better you don't know how anxious he is about you why i believe he has lost ten pounds since your attack for which he seems to blame himself thinking he excited you too much by talking to you frank read this to maud who when he came to the postscript laughed aloud as a child laughs at the return of its mother for whom it has been hungering this was the first word she had had from harold except that he had called to inquire for her and she had so longed for something which should assure her that he remembered her as she did him she had no distrust of him and would as soon have doubted that the sun would rise again as to have doubted his sincerity but she wanted to hear again that he loved her and now she had heard it and folding her hands upon her breast she fell into the most refreshing sleep she had had since her illness could maud have talked and seen people or if she had been less anxious to live she would probably have told jerry and nina and possibly ann eliza peterkin of what had passed between herself and harold but she had not seen them while life with harold to love her looked so bright and sweet that if by keeping silent she could prolong it she would do so for some months if necessary to live for harold was all she wished or thought about and often when they hoped she was sleeping she lay so still with her eyes closed and her hands folded upon her breast she was praying for life and length of days with strength to make harold as happy as he ought to be and was thinking of and planning all she meant to do for him if she lived and they were married first to europe 
where she would be so proud to show him the places she had seen and where jerry would be with them for in all her plans jerry had almost as prominent a place as herself i am nothing without jerry she thought she keeps me up and jerry will live with us and mrs crawford but not here for harold could never get along with mother and tom we will build a house together hallie and i with jerry to help and plan build one where the cottage stands or near it so jerry can still see the old tramp house she is so fond of not a house like this with such big rooms but a pretty modern queen anne house with every room a corner room and a bay window in it and harold will have an office in town and i shall drive down for him every afternoon and take him home to dinner and to jerry such was the nature of maud's thoughts as she lay day after day upon the couch too weak to do more than lift her hands or raise her head when the dreadful paroxysms of coughing seized her and racked her fragile frame still she was very happy and the happiness showed itself upon her face where there rested a look of perfect content and peace which her father and mother had noticed and commented upon and which jerry saw the moment she entered the room sitting down beside her she told her how lovely she looked in her pretty rose-coloured wrapper and how sorry every one was for her and that both she and nina would have been there every day only they knew they could not see her then as maud's eyes fixed themselves steadily upon her with a look of inquiry she set her teeth hard and began i don't think any one has been more sorry than harold why for the first few days after you were taken so ill he just walked the floor all the time he was in the house and when grandma asked what ailed him he said i am thinking of maud and i'm afraid my call upon her was the cause of the attack N-n-n-n-n. maud began but checked herself in time and taking up her slate wrote tell him it was not his call i am glad he came all day and all night jerry sat by her sometimes talking to her and answering the questions she wrote upon the slate but oftener in perfect silence when maud seemed to be asleep then jerry's tears fell like rain the face upon the pillow looked so much like death and she kept repeating to herself the lines we thought her dying when she slept and sleeping when she died when the warm july morning looked in at the windows of the sick-room bringing with it the perfume of hundreds of flowers blooming on the lawn and the scent of the hay cut the previous day it found jerry still watching maud her own face tired and pale with dark rings about her eyes which were heavy with tears and wakefulness she had not slept at all and her head was beginning to ache frightfully when the nurse came in and relieved her telling her breakfast was ready maud was awake and wrote eagerly upon her slate you'll come back you'll stay all day you do me so much good and i am a great deal better for your being here jerry hesitated a moment her head was aching so hard that she longed to get away but selfishness was not one of jerry's faults and putting her own wishes aside she said yes i will stay until afternoon and then i must go home i did not tell you that harold was going away to-night did i maud shook her head and jerry went on you know perhaps that some time ago a mr wilson of truesdale sued peterkin for some infringement on a patent or something of that sort maud nodded and jerry continued the suit comes off to-morrow and harold is subpoenaed as a witness as he was in peterkin's office a while and knows something about the arrangement between them i am sorry he has got to swear against peterkin it will make him so angry and he hates harold now the suit is to be called in the morning and judge st clair and harold are going to-night on the five o'clock train and as he may be gone a day or two i must be home to see to packing his bag 
but i will stay with you just as long as i can she said nothing of her head which throbbed in a most peculiar way making her dizzy and half blind as she went down to breakfast which she took alone with mrs tracy frank had eaten his long before and was now pacing up and down the piazza with his head bent forward and his hands locked together behind him tom seldom appeared until after ten and when jerry went for a few moments into the grounds to see if the fresh air would do her good she found him seated in an armchair under a horse-chestnut tree stretching himself and yawning as if he were just out of bed jerry you here did you stay all night if i'd known that i'd have made an effort to come down to breakfast though i think getting up in the morning is a bore why what's the matter you look as if you were going to faint sit down here he continued as he saw jerry reel forward as if she were about to fall he put her into the chair and stood over her fanning her with his hat and wondering what he should do while for a moment she lost consciousness of the things about her and her mind went floating off after the picture on the wall in wiesbaden which was haunting her that morning when she came to herself tom and dick and billy were all three hovering around and so close to her that without opening her eyes she could have told exactly where each one was standing tom by the smell of tobacco with which his clothes were saturated billy by the powerful scent of white rose with which he always perfumed his handkerchief and dick because as she had once said to nina when a child he was so clean and looked as if he had just been scrubbed the two young men had come to inquire for maud and had found jerry half swooning under the tree with tom fanning her frantically and acting like a wild man jerry had seen dick twice since her refusal of him and both times her manner exactly like what it had always been to him had put him at his ease so that a looker-on would never have dreamed of that episode under the pines when she nearly broke his heart billy however was more conscious he had not seen jerry since he took her home in his dog-cart and his face was scarlet and his manner nervous and constrained as he stood before her longing and yet not daring to fan her with his hat just as tom was doing of the three young men who had sought her hand billy's wound was the deepest and billy would remember it the longest for mingled with his defeat was a sense of mortification and hatred of his own personal appearance which he could not help thinking had influenced jerry's decision and i don't blame her by jove he said to himself a hundred times she could not marry a pygmy and i was a fool to hope it but i shall love her just the same as long as i live and if i can ever help her i will and when at last jerry was better and assured him so with her own sweet graciousness of manner and put her hand on his shoulder to steady herself as she stood up he felt that paradise was opening to him again and that although he had lost jerry as a wife he still had her as a friend which was more than he had dared to expect are you better now can you walk to the house tom asked oh yes the giddiness is gone jerry replied i don't know what ails me this morning never before could she remember having felt as she did now with that sharp pain in her head that buzzing in her ears and more than all that peculiar state of mind which she called her spells and which seemed to hold her now body and soul even when she returned to maud's room her thoughts were far away and everything which had ever come to her concerning her babyhood came to her again crowding upon her so fast that once it seemed to her that the top of her head was lifting and she put up her hand to hold it in its place and still she stayed on with maud although two or three times she arose to go but something kept her there chance if one chooses to call by that name the something which at times moulds us to its will and influences our whole lives 
something kept her there until the morning was merged into noon and the noon into the middle of the afternoon and then she could stay no longer the hour had come when she must go for the other force which was to be the instrument in changing all her future was astir and she must keep her unconscious appointment with it chapter forty do you know what you have done judging from the result this question might far better have been put to rather than by peterkin as he stood puffing and hot and indignant in the tramp-house looking down upon jerry who was sitting upon the wooden bench with her aching head resting upon a corner of the old table standing against the wall just where it stood that stormy night years ago when death claimed the woman beside her but left her unharmed after saying good-bye to maud jerry had walked very slowly through the park stopping more than once to rest upon the seats scattered here and there and wondering more and more at the feeling which oppressed her and the terrible pain in her head which grew constantly worse i'm afraid i'm going to be sick she said to herself i have never felt this way before and no wonder with all i have gone through the last few weeks the getting ready for the commencement the coming home and all the excitement which followed with three men one after another offering themselves to me and the drenching that night in the rain and then watching by maud without a wink of sleep it is enough to make a behemoth sick and i am so dizzy and hot she had reached the tramp-house by this time and feeling that she could go no farther without resting she went in and seating herself upon the bench laid her aching head upon the table and felt again for a few moments that strange sensation as if the top of her head were rising up and up until she could not reach it with her hand for she tried and thought of ann eliza with her hair piled so high on her head the loss of an inch or two might improve me she said though i'd rather keep my scalp then she seemed to be drifting away into the realms of sleep and all around her was confusion and bewilderment the window across which the woodbine was growing changed places with the door the floor rose up and bowed to her while the room was full of faces beckoning to and smiling upon her faces like the one she knew so well the pale face in the chair faces like her own as she remembered it when a child faces like the dark woman dead so long ago and buried in the tracy lot and faces like arthur's as she had seen him oftenest when he spoke so lovingly and called her little cherry then the scene changed and the old tramp-house was full of wondrous music which came floating in at every crevice and through the open door and windows while she listened intently in her dreams as the grand chorus went on it was as if arthur from the top of the highest peak beyond the rocky mountains and gretchen from her lonely grave in far-off germany were calling to each other across two countenances their voices meeting and mingling together in the tramp-house in a jubilistic strain now wild and weird like the cry of the dying woman looking out into the stormy night now soft and low as the lullaby a fond mother sings to her sleeping child and now swelling louder and louder and higher and higher until the rafters rang with the joyous music and the whole world outside was filled with the song of gladness wake up jerry wake from the dream of rapture to a reality far more rapturous for the time is at hand the hour has come heralded by the shadow which falls over the floor as peterkin's burly figure crosses the threshold and enters the silent room after peterkin's conversation with his son concerning his future wife jerry had grown rapidly in the old man's favour it is true she had neither name nor money the latter of which was scarcely necessary in this case but he was not insensible to the fact that she possessed other qualities and advantages which would be a help to the house of peterkin in its efforts to rise 
no girl in the neighbourhood was more popular or more sought after than jerry or more intimate with the big bugs as he styled the st clairs the athertons and tracys jerry would draw jerry would boost and he found himself forming many plans for the young couple who were to occupy the south wing and in fancy he saw arthur at le bateau half the time at least while the rest of the time the carriages from grassy spring and briar hill and tracy park were standing under the stone arch in front of the door how then was he disappointed and enraged too when told by billy that jerry had refused him peterkin had been in springfield nearly a week and after his return home had waited a little before broaching the subject to his son so that it was not until the morning before the day of the lawsuit that he learned the truth by closely questioning billy who shielded and defended jerry as far as possible not have you refused you don't love you don't care for money thunderation what does the girl mean is she crazy is she a fool is she in love with some other idiot i think so yes th though it did not occur to me then billy answered very meekly and if so she can't care for me any m more than i c can care for any other girl and you are a fool too was the affectionate rejoinder i'll be dumbed if you ain't a pair who is the lucky man not that dog harold who is going to swear agin us to-morrow if it is i believe i'll shoot him father billy cried in alarm b be quiet if i can stand it you can but peterkin swore he wouldn't stand it he'd do something he didn't know what and all the morning he went about the house like a madman swearing at his wife because she wasn't up to snuff and couldn't hoe her own with the aristocrats swearing at billy because he was a fool and so small that twas no wonder a bean-pole like jerry wouldn't look at him and swearing at ann eliza because her hair was so red and because she had sprained her ankle for the sake of having tom tracy bring her home hoping he would keep calling to see her and thus give her a chance to rope him in which she never could as long as the world stood neither you nor bill will ever marry with all your money unless you take up with a cobbler and he with a washwoman was his farewell remark as he finally left the house about three o'clock and started for the village where he had some of his own witnesses to see before taking the train for springfield at five his wife had ventured to suggest that he go in the carriage as it was so warm but he had answered savagely go to thunder with your carriage and coat of arms what good have they ever done us only to make folks laugh at us for a pack of fools nothing under heaven gives us a hist and i'm just going to quit the falderall and pad it on foot as i used to when i was captain of the liza ann dumb it and so with his bag in his hand he started rapidly down the road in the direction of shannondale but the sun was hot and he was hot and his bag was heavy and cursing himself for a fool that he had not taken the carriage he finally struck into the park as a cooler if longer route to the station as he came near the tramp-house which gave no sign of its sleeping occupant something impelled him to look in at the door and this he did with the thought of jerry in his heart though with no suspicion that she was there and when he saw her he started suddenly and uttered an exclamation of surprise which roused her from her heavy slumber oh she exclaimed but whatever else she might have said was prevented by his outburst of passion which began with the question do you know what you have done 
jerry looked at him wonderingly but made no reply and he went on yes do you know what you have done you a poor unknown girl who but for the tracys would have gone to the poorhouse sure as guns where you oughter have gone yes you order you refuse my bill you hadn't a cent to your name and all for that sneak of a herald who will swear agin me to-morrow ah no he's at the root on it though bill didn't say so and i hate him wuss than pizen he who has been at the wheel in my shop he to be settin up for a gentleman and cuttin out my bill who will be worth more'n a million yes two millions probably and you have refused him do you hear me gal yes i hear you she said you are talking of harold and saying things you shall not repeat in my presence hoity-toity miss what's to hinder me repeatin in your presence that harold hastings is a sneak and a snob a hewer of wood a drawer of water and a jerry had risen to her feet and stood up so tall and straight that it seemed to peterkin as if she towered even above himself while something in the flash of her blue eyes made him think of arthur when he turned him from the house for accusing harold of theft and also of the little child who had attacked him so fiercely on that wintry morning when the dead woman lay stretched upon the table at the park-house with her dark face upturned to the ceiling above i shall hinder you she said her voice ringing clear and distinct and if you breathe another word against harold i'll turn you from this room the tramp-house is mine mr arthur gave it to me and you cannot stay in it with me heavens and earth hear the girl one would suppose she was the queen of shebe to hear her go on instead of a beggar whose father was the lord only knows who and whose mother was found in rags on this air table drat the dumb thing peterkin roared bringing his fist down with such force upon the poor old rickety table that it fell to pieces under the blow and went crashing to the floor jerry's face was a face to fear then and peterkin was afraid and backed himself from the room with jerry close to him never speaking a word but motioning him to the door through which he passed swiftly and picking up his bag walked rapidly away growling to himself there's the very old harry in that gal's eye bill did well to get shit of her and yet if she'd married him how she would have rid over all their heads well to be sure what a dumb fool she is End of chapters thirty nine and forty